Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zora. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Anne Musa, Tabitha Luhoko and Tami Kloza. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, Vote counting is underway in Uganda elections. Zimbabwean police clash with protesting war veterans and U.S. President Barack Obama to visit Cuba next month. In economics, IMF start talks with Tunisia over new loan program and in sports news, Nigeria's FCON qualifier with Egypt moved. The first up, the news with Anne Musa. A very good morning to you, I'm Anne Musa. International election observers have warned that hours-long delays in delivering ballot papers in Uganda's national elections would not inspire trust in the polling. Voting was due to begin at 7 a.m. local time, but was stalled for several hours in some polling stations in parts of the capital city and the surrounding Wakiso district. Meanwhile, opposition leader Amama Mbabazi says there were reports of pre-ticket ballots in favor of incumbent President Uweri Museveni and candidates from his NRM party. Staying in Uganda, the government is being criticized by the UN Human Rights Office for its blackout on social media platforms. The government has publicly acknowledged the block on the grounds of national security. OHCHR representative in the country, Ochena Imolone, is monitoring human rights in the context of the presidential and parliamentary elections. Access to information and expression is an ingredient of election. And the fact that the social media platform is disallowed by the government of Uganda on the day of election impacts on a free election in Uganda. Nigerian army soldiers have rescued 195 people held hostage by Boko Haram militants across the country's northeastern region. The army says a number of militants were killed in the rest of state of Borno during the operation. Two trucks, 180 motorcycles, 750 bicycles and a generator were among the seized equipment. This comes after a major operation against a key Boko Haram base in Nigeria by the Cameroonian army, which also led to the seizure of heavy machine guns, rocket launchers, AK-47s, grenades and training rifles. 
Rising tensions and violence in Mozambique have caused thousands of people to flee to Malawi, with concerns mounting over continued humanitarian crisis due to overcrowded camps. Close to 6,000 Mozambicans have settled in a camp at the Malawian village of Kapise, 100 kilometers south of the capital, Lilongwe. The Mozambicans, most of whom have arrived from the Tete province, are alleged to have fled fighting between government forces and the country's opposition, Renamo. And finally, South Africa's ruling ANC is taking its anti-racism campaign to the seat of the government and the union buildings in the capital, Pretoria. Party members led by Secretary-General Gwede Mantashe are marching for unity, non-racialism and democracy. The ruling party says it's concerned that in some instances racism has been disguised as freedom of speech. Mantashe says the country cannot afford to be taken back to the apartheid era. South Africa today is a part of many streams of history and culture representing the origins, dispersal and reintegration of humanity over hundreds of thousands of years. Our constitutional democracy and indeed our inherent values as a nation are founded on the need to heal the divisions of the past and establish society based on democratic values, social justice and fundamental human rights. And that's the news headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Thank you, Anne. It's 8.05 Central African Time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. There was chaos in Zimbabwe's capital following attempts by the police to stop hundreds of war veterans from protesting against President Robert Mugabe since independence in 1980. President Mugabe has enjoyed massive support from the war veterans regarded as the backbone of the ruling ZANU-PF. For years, Mugabe has been the patron of the War Veterans Association in a bid to consolidate his grip on power. Simon Muchewa reports from Harare. Hundreds of war veterans thronged the Zimbabwean capital Harare chanting liberation war songs expecting to be addressed by their leader, President Robert Mugabe. However, there was chaos as heavily armed police were unleashed on the unsuspecting crowd, resulting in a number getting assaulted and injured. Running battles ensued and business in the capital come to a halt. Heavy police presence was seen in every street corner as the security forces tried to avert a national security crisis. According to the war veterans, the March Thursday was in protest against remarks by the First Lady Grace Mugabe, leading to the ouster of leader Christopher Muchangwa. Muchangwa is accused of plotting to topple Mugabe, something he denies. Meanwhile, Muchangwa, who is also minister responsible for the welfare of the war veterans, expressed shock and anger at the way Mugabe is fighting his own people. Clearly, to see the police bring out paraphernalia of violence, including the U.S. water coming from Israel and elsewhere, and to beat up war veterans who came and um, who came in bus, none of them, if, if the best weapon they would have had would have been a cell phone. They had nothing violent on, their, on, on them. 
to be beaten by the police simply for trying to attend a meeting. I say this is the equivalent of Marikana for Zimbabwe, where you simply prey upon your own people because the state is going to be sick. And we wonder why the state is going to be sick. Muchangwa said the war veterans never expected such treatment from a leader with whom they shared the same war history. We are outraged. We condemn this violence. We, our sympathy goes out to our war veterans' colleagues. We have been beaten up and we are appealing to those who have been beaten up to that they can go to the hospitals. We are appealing that they can be you know, treated and we also want those who have been traumatized to also get the treatment because they never expected this kind of treatment from a government which they gave birth to, from a leader, from the, from the police force of a leader, I mean, which is commanded by a leader whom they are so admire at all, also from uh, the commander who shared with them the same trenches in the liberation struggle. A female war veteran expressed anger at how Mugabe has suddenly turned his back against his own people. This thing started way long back with African resistance all over Africa. 1840s people were resisting in South Africa. These borders are new. We resist as a black people. And we were so happy to be the country in Africa that has exemplified what economic independence is to all of Africa. That you can grab your economic freedom. And President Mugabe is worshipped, praised by the global black presence here in the world for what he did here, for this revolution to have happened. But now I don't understand why he has got no voice while these people are actually destroying the basis of that revolution. Clarice Maduku, a member of the civil society, expressed shock at the manner the war veterans regarded as pivotal to the existence of ZANU-PF were treated on Thursday. It's, it's quite shocking. As a member of the uh, civic society, we have seen how veterans have been actually pivotal in the way ZANPF has been uh, running its election machinery. So for me, seeing the war veterans um, being said to the police, uh, the, the, the riot and the tear gas, it, it, it actually reveals that um, somehow the center is not holding. There is a lot that uh, we are still to learn from this. A Harare resident, Mbizo Chirasha, said the police conduct against the war veterans was the beginning of a new political era characterized by factional fights due to the absence of a succession plan. I, I believe and think that uh, things are falling apart in a system that has been so strong and uh, becoming a revolutionary system. And uh, the revolutionary statement is actually concluded and it stops at the war veterans. And if these guys are being tear-gassed and being uh, disrespected in a nation that is ruled by a revolutionary political system, then it shows things are falling apart and the center is not holding. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Human rights group Amnesty International has slammed the Ugandan government's decision to block access to social media on mobile phones during the election. Voting has been extended after serious delays yesterday. Opposition candidate Kiza Besije was also briefly detained. For the latest from Uganda, we earlier spoke to our correspondent Tony Singoro. The latest right now we are 
getting the provision, uh, provisional results from the Electoral Commission, whereby uh, a few minutes ago the Electoral Commission had um, the press conference uh, and gave her the, the provisional results. And um, the provisional results are that um, um, seven is uh, it's leading and followed by by Besige. I think it's only something like uh, two, three percent of all uh, the total. Uh, polling stations here in Uganda. And also we need to remember that yesterday there are some stations which did not vote. So the Electoral Commission gave them that allowance whereby they are ready to vote this morning. As I talk now, I passed through uh, two different stations and the exercise is going on. They are voting right now this morning, around 2.30 within Kampala Central. Now, Tony... Reports of uh, opposition um, candidate Kiza Besige being arrested or detained by the police. Can you give us more details on that? The, the, the arrest of Kiza Besige right now has two versions. We have the, the version from the opposition and we have the version from the, the, the police. The opposition themselves they say that they got the information that there are some stealing of elections from Naguru house and uh, Besje decided to, to storm the place. But the police say that uh, Besje was trying to steal the votes from the same place that was found. Now, these are two different information, but coming from the one center point, whereby Besje was arrested yesterday evening. He was detained for three hours. Then later on, he was driven back home. I think it has become a norm for the police to arrest Besje and detain him for some time then after they take him back home. It's something which happens all the time when he's arrested. And I, I think he knows, all they know that he knows he is on the right. He has not broken any law. That's why most of the time when he is being arrested, he says, get me to the court so that we can argue out what I've done and what I'm not supposed to do. So the police arrested him. They detained him for three hours. Then later on, they drove him back home. And uh, I think right now he's back at his home. Tony, are opposition parties happy with the whole election process up to this point? They are not. The leadership of the opposition parties here in Uganda, whether FDC or other political parties, that they are not happy with what happened yesterday because they say that they are infringing to business right because... He's not free to move in Kampala. All the time he tried to move around Kampala, he is arrested. So they're not happy at all, and they said, if you can arrest an opposition leader during the time of election, when the counting is still going on, does he have the right of moving around and checking on what is happening or when people are voting and when the counting is going on? So the opposition, they're not, they're not happy at all. And even the international observers, they've also questioned the rationale of uh, arresting Bezje for three hours when he was trying to inquire exactly what was happening. And later on, they left him to go back home. Not only the opposition, but even the international observers, they're also concerned about the arrest of Bezje yesterday. Now, Tony, with regards to the whole election process, one, polling stations not opening on time, voting material not being available for voters, um, and uh, with the extension now of uh, voting, at different polling stations for people who are not able to vote yesterday. Opposition parties, what's their feeling about this? The, the, uh, the opposition parties, especially the, the, the former prime minister, 
because he was in government for 30 years. And, well, maybe he knows the aspect of uh, stealing the votes in Uganda. And yesterday, uh, the message he sent in the newsroom, he, he said that uh, the, the ploy for um, uh, the ruling party to steal the election, and that was part of the design of stealing the election. Because we tried to ask the Electoral uh, Commission Chairman, Badruk Igundo, to, to tell us the rationale whereby a polling station 200 meters from the Electoral Commission warehouse where the boxes and the ballot papers were kept, open and started voting at two. You know, it just defeated the whole purpose. And now they're saying that, you know, the opposition, their stronghold is mainly in urban centers, especially Kampala. And now, Amama Mbawazi, who was the former prime minister, said that was the ploy of delaying the election in Kampala city, where they have many followers, so that people can give up and they go back home. Tony, did people give up yesterday? Yes, people gave up because some stations where it was at uh, 2.30, where the electoral materials had not arrived, some had, had left. And the polling station closed at 4, exactly at 4. They closed the station. The, those who are inside the voting, they, they continue the voting. But those who are not inside, they left and they went away. But there was a provision whereby the electoral commission provided to those uh, stations whereby didn't vote yesterday. There are only around 30 They're voting this morning. As I was coming in Ambole in the tally center, I passed through uh, two stations and the voting was going on. So the voting is... It's going on right now. Now, Tony, let's shift focus now and look at uh, the issue of reports coming in about authorities blocking access to social media on mobile phones yesterday. What happened there? Yesterday morning, uh, people woke up with a surprise, whereby, you know, this is a new generation world. And I personally, even after logging in for my Twitter handle, it failed. And I asked my friend of mine what is happening, and she also told me it has failed. The, the government said, the reason why the government said, even not the government, the reason why Muspen said yesterday was the shutdown of the social media is to cut down people. Because in Africa, we have seen so many uprisings, and those uprisings usually come because of the social media, the, the use of Facebook and the use of the Twitter. So the government was worried that if we leave the social media on, anything will happen. Leave it on the social media. Even the mobile money banking, whereby I, I think 80% people here in Uganda use, it was a shutdown. Is everything back online now? Is everything unblocked? Not yet. I, I left my house around 6 in the morning and everything was shut down. So I will, I will reach them and then I'll check if I'm back on, on the system or, or not. But when I left the house 6 in the morning, my Twitter handle was still down. Now, Tony, you mentioned earlier the fact that uh, so far, there are preliminary results that are filtering through, and uh, President Yoweri Museveni look, seems like he's in the lead with uh, Kiza Besige um, right behind him with a few percentage points. Now, when can we expect the final results? The, the Electoral Commission has assured us, he has told us, mm, when we look at the U- Ugandan law, they give them 48, 48 hours. Within 48 hours, the Electoral Commission must announce the, the, the result. And the Electoral Commission Chairman, Badrick Igundo, has assured us that before tomorrow, Saturday, 4 p.m., that's East African time, he will announce the results. So whatever will happen today is 
they'll be updating us after every two hours, after every two hours, but the results will be announced before tomorrow, 4 p.m. That's what the Electoral Commission Chairman has told us. That was Tony Singoro, our correspondent in Uganda, joining us on the line from Kampala. An outbreak of intercommunal violence inside a large United Nations camp in South Sudan that left five dead may constitute a war crime. This is according to the UN spokesperson for the UN mission in the country, UNMIS. Ariane Quentier condemned the violence that erupted on Wednesday night inside the Malakal camp, which is sheltering nearly 50,000 people made homeless during the ongoing civil war. The clashes involved Shiluk and Dinka youth. A two-year-long conflict between rival forces loyal to the president on one side and his former deputy on the other has left tens of thousands dead, Quentier explains. Well, in the evening of Wednesday, Shiluk and Dinka youth people community got into quite a serious fight, a serious uh, fight that prompted the UN police to come and to diffuse the crowd and attention by uh, throwing tear gas. Uh, unfortunately, there were casualties and fatalities. Our pre-assessment is five dead, 30 injured. We've been immediately reacting by setting up our patrols, our admiss patrol within the camp, but also admiss patrols, military patrols outside of the camp, in the vicinity of the camp, but also securing a certain number of areas, but also having the United Nations police continuing to try to ensure law and order inside the compound. We are very shocked at, at what happened. Uh, there have been a fire from outside the camp. As you know, one has to respect the sanctity and the integrity of UNSS and UN personnel. Not doing that may constitute a war crime. The situation, as I'm talking, seems to have calmed down. It is still tense and volatile, but things are improving. Is this the first time that this kind of intercommunal violence has occurred in a UN camp in South Sudan? It is the first time that the violence, intercommunal violence, has occurred on such a scope and uh, to this extent. I mean, what kind of effect has this had on the civilians who are seeking protection under the UN banner? It, it must have been extremely unsettling for everybody there in the camp. Well, there was fighting in the camps and people started fleeing. They were obviously scared. It is quite a paradox that they've come to a UN compound to seek protection under fire. Obviously, it's slightly alarming that there is intercommunal violence like this, which in a way sort of mirrors the wider civil war conflict that's going on around the whole country. Well, it's a very, very heavy conflict. But Nanakal is a bit specific because it involves three communities. Three communities is always two against one, whatever way you take it. So it makes the equation a bit more complicated than in other areas where the problem is between only two communities. Although, unfortunately, the conflict has been going far too long in this country and we call for the peace agreement to be implemented, implemented as soon as possible so people can return back to their homes and especially including those living on our bases where there are around 200,000 of them. That was Ariane Quintia, spokesperson at the United Nations Mission in South Sudan in Juba, on the line to UN Radio's Matthew Wells. The focus of US President Barack Obama's visit to Cuba next month will focus on strengthening commercial ties between two former foes while expanding people-to-people ties that will benefit mainly the people of the island nation. Mr. Obama, who will be accompanied by First Lady Michelle, is not expected to meet former President Fidel Castro 
but will meet with President Raul Castro, Cuban dissidents and members of Cuban society. And as Sherwin Bryce Peace reports from New York, this will be the first visit by a sitting U.S. head of state since a visit to Havana by Calvin Coolidge in 1928. Sherwin Bryce Peace reports. They want to advance progress already made between the two countries, a trip on March 21st and 22nd that comes almost 15 months after both presidents vowed to reopen diplomatic channels between their two countries. What we've seen is enormous interest uh, from the Cuban people. Ben Rhodes is the Deputy National Security Advisor for Strategic Communications. As we considered whether to go this year uh, to Cuba, uh, the president's judgment was that, number one, um, going to Cuba was an important step forward in signaling this new beginning between our two countries and peoples, um, and, and also importantly that going uh, to Cuba could help enlarge this space uh, that uh, benefits uh, the Cuban people uh, and increases ties between our countries. And that in fact going earlier uh, this year uh, would allow us uh, to try to get more done, uh, both around his visit uh, and in the days and uh, months that follow. Since the announcement in December 2014, diplomatic relations have been re-established with embassies reopened in both capitals. There's been a 54% increase in Americans visiting Cuba, increased business and government linkages both at the state and local level, while it was also announced just days ago that for the first time in decades, up to 110 direct flights will resume between the two countries later this year. We've also seen that... Um, the opening to Cuba uh, holds out real promise to improve the lives of the Cuban people. Uh, and this is really at the core of our policy. Uh, our judgment was that the embargo that was in place was doing nothing to achieve its stated aims uh, of bringing about uh, a political change in Cuba. Uh, in fact, the Castro government uh, under Fidel and then Raul Castro had been in place for many decades. Uh, and it was also hurting the Cuban people because they were cut off from the United States. They were cut off uh, in many ways from the world. Uh, and they were, uh, again, not benefiting from U.S. policy. But the United States believes reforms must continue opening the private sector space on increased Internet connectivity and on the question of human rights. Ben Rhodes speaking at the White House. He'll be meeting with um, uh, dissidents, with uh, members of civil society, including those who um, certainly oppose the Cuban government's policies, uh, just as when he went to... Uh, Panama for the Sun of the Americas and met with um, Raul Castro. He also met with uh, critics of the Cuban government in his civil society roundtable. I think the point that we make to the Cuban government is that uh, we engage civil society in countries around the world, um, that this is part of how the president does business. Um, when he travels um, in different regions, he meets with a, a broad range of actors, uh, and Cuba is no different. The economic embargo remains in place and can only be lifted by Congress, currently controlled by Republicans. Several GOP candidates running for president have expressed their opposition to this new era of detente being pushed by the Obama administration. I'm Sherman Bryspees in New York. Across the globe, the continent, and the entire country, every second, there's always a breaking story. SABC News is your reliable eye, ear, and information system in bringing you events as they happen. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. Join us every day and know what is happening around you. SABC News.
Africa's news leader. At a tumultuous time, Butrus Butrus Ghali helped the United Nations find its footing in a new global landscape. So says UN Chief Ban Ki-moon, speaking at a special General Assembly plenary to honour the life of Africa's first and the UN's sixth Secretary General, who passed away on Tuesday. UN flags at UN installations have been ordered lowered to half-mast, while a book of condolences has been opened in New York. Show and Bryce Peace reports. Ban Ki-moon described his predecessor as a man who had both a fortune and misfortune to serve as the first post-Cold War Secretary General of the UN, who broke barriers as the first African and Arab Secretary General. Mr. Putros Kali won respect near and far, including as a leading Egyptian diplomat before joining the United Nations and afterwards as a Secretary General of La Francophonie, Yet he never attempted to endear himself to everybody. Perhaps he was too direct for some. He might have been too professional for others. Some definitely found him too independent, a goal that he considered among the highest virtues of any Secretary General of the United Nations. The Africa Group called him an illustrious son of Africa and an erudite diplomat, a message delivered by Swaziland's ambassador, Sveletu Mnisi. His ascendancy to the helm of our global organization as the first Secretary General from the African continent was a great source of pride for us in Africa. The United States government, well remembered for the veto that would deny Butras Ghali a second term, acknowledged their disagreements but paid tribute to his lifetime of service. Ambassador Samantha Power for the host government. He was a very effective negotiator, quietly helping to secure Nelson Mandela's release from prison and facilitating subsequent talks between Mandela and the apartheid government. After one conversation with Boutrous Ghali back in 1992, Nelson Mandela told a reporter, quote, I leave the meeting with a feeling of strength and hope. Earlier, former President Thabo Mbeki called for the next Secretary General to emulate the characteristics of the fallen Egyptian diplomat. This position requires an independent-minded statesperson, not, not a senior civil servant, an independent-thinking statesperson committed to the vision that you would find in the UN Charter in the Human Rights Charter and then all of these documents that have been agreed globally. You, you need that so that they can, persons can stand up and say, even if the behavior of a big power, if the behavior of a big power is such that that behavior could lead to a threat to international peace, Secretary General must be able to stand up and say that. Mbeki earlier signed the condolence book, while the posture outside the building saw flags lowered to remember a fallen son. The next Secretary General to replace Ban Ki-moon will be selected in the latter part of 2016. I'm Sherman Bricepies in New York. Our headlines up next with Anne Musa.
A very good morning to you in the headlines. International election observers have warned that hours-long delays in delivering ballot papers in Uganda's national elections would not inspire trust in the polling. Nigerian army soldiers have rescued 195 people held hostage by Boko Haram militants across the country's northeastern region. And rising tensions and violence in Mozambique have caused thousands of people to flee to Malawi, with concerns mounting over a continued humanitarian crisis due to overcrowded camps. Those are the stories making headlines. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Anne. The International Atomic Energy Agency, IAEA, is offering help to Brazil and other countries in the Americas to reduce the mosquito population as part of a battle against Zika. The agency is advocating the use of the sterile insect technique, or SIT, which uses radiation to sterilize male mosquitoes. According to the Pan-American Health Organization, or PAHO, the Zika virus has been detected in 26 countries in the Americas and is possibly linked to serious birth defects. Deputy Director General and Head of IAEA's Nuclear Science Department, Aldo Malavasi, explains the technique. In the case of Zika, Zika is transmitted by one mosquito, Aedes aegypti. So what we try to do is exactly suppress the population using the uh, releasing uh, large numbers of uh, sterile males. Doing so the, uh, because they compete with the males in the nature, they transfer to the females only not viable uh, spermatozoid. In this case, in each generation, the female drop the population. So it's a kind of a birth control of the mosquitoes. Why should we use this technique over other conventional methods for eliminating mosquitoes? What happens, for instance, now in Europe, all of the populations that we have in many countries, like in the Scandinavia, in Central Europe, all of the mosquitoes' populations are already very resistant to the chemical control. With the technology that we have, the sterile insect technique, we are using for more than 50 years. And up to now, we didn't get any kind of resistance. It's because it's, it's very natural. It's one female that copulates with the male, and the female just, to you know, produce not offspring. So it's very natural. It's very elegant. <laughs> How Quickly, can we implement this technique in countries infected by the disease? This is a, a matter of concern because take a while to implement this technique because we need to produce millions and millions of insects. To apply in one country is minimum one year until you start to release in few more months to have quite clear reduction of the population. I would say, unfortunately, using this technology will take one year, one year and a half to be fully implemented. So what will be the role of the IAEA in helping these countries eliminate these mosquitoes? Our role is, number one, 
is to develop technology. So we need to develop strains of insects that are, you know, easy for rearing, uh, resistance to release in the environment, and that we can also sort out males and females very easily. We need also to develop some kind of uh, methods to release in the nature. Our role is to develop this kind of technology. And the agency, in, in different projects, we are very susceptible to transfer technology through the, the Department of Technical Cooperation. And in this regard, we are ready, you know, to help uh, many, I would say, not probably all of our member states, but we have the capacity to, through our, our mechanism, to transfer this technology. That was Aldo Malavasi, Deputy Director General and Head at the International Atomic Energy Agency's Nuclear Science Department, and he was speaking to UN Radio Steve Thatchett. Millions of people need urgent food aid as drought caused by El Nino continues to ravage many parts of the African continent. And efforts in Ethiopia have begun to help government and the international community raise money to aid the affected. Ethiopia's Red Cross Society has created an SMS platform to help raise money from, from citizens. Koleto Anjohi sought more information about this initiative from the Ethiopia Red Cross Society. As Ethiopia grapples with the ongoing drought and the need to supply food to those who urgently need food relief, the Ethiopia Red Cross Society has launched an SMS appeal to Ethiopian nationals to donate money for the sake of helping drought victims in areas that have been badly affected by the drought. Citizens have an option of contributing through SMS between three Ethiopian beers that is equivalent to 14 US cents and 50 beer that is just above $2. Solomon Ali is the Humanitarian Diplomacy and Resource Mobilization Officer at Ethiopia Red Cross Society. He explains that the target is to rely on the big number of mobile phone subscribers in the country to help raise the targeted amount. Then we have to mobilize about 6 million USD. This is what we are thinking in, in the next six months. So if, uh, if we succeed in the SMS message, because we, we believe that there are close to 20 million uh, mobile subscribers in Ethiopia, so if we succeed in raising more money, then we will also expand our area of intervention. The Ethiopia Red Cross Society is targeting to help 170,000 people, as Ali explains further. We are mainly focusing on supplementary food plus animal feed because, as you know, the drought has also affected a lot of animals. Uh, and we have also non-food items because people are moving, displaced because of the drought. So they need non-food items like kits, like utensils, you know, and uh, some hygiene, soaps and, uh, you know, uh, chemicals for purifying waters. So these are areas we are targeting because we feel that these are the most vulnerable people. However, Ethiopia Red Cross Society says that as compared to other initiatives where it has successfully used the SMS platform to raise money, this one specifically is challenging since advertising it is eating into what would be collected. One of the challenges are the amount of money you provide for the promotion. So if you are daily promoting that you have to be sure that you have to pay those promotion or advert costs. So we have to avoid this one. So what we are, we are doing is our regional branches uh, through the word of mouth and through the internet we have and through the letters we are distributing. 
The SMS platform for fundraising money by Ethiopia Red Cross Society for the drought victims will last only four months. So far, it has worked for a month. Koleto Anjoi for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. South Africa's ruling ANC will take its anti-racism march to the seat of government, the union buildings in Pretoria, later this morning. Scores of party members led by Secretary-General Gwede Mandashe will march for unity, non-racialism and democracy. The group will hand over a memorandum to President Jacob Zuma. Amos Pahol has more. South Africans are united in condemning acts of racism and the ruling party ANC says it is concerned that in some instances racism has been disguised as freedom of speech. This was sparked by KZN-based realtor Penny Sparum when she referred to black people as monkeys. Tensions increased as more racist posts emerged on social media platforms such as Twitter and Facebook. ANC Secretary General Gwere Mantashe says the country cannot afford to be taken back to the apartheid era. South Africa today is a part of many streams of history and culture, representing the origins, dispersal and reintegration of humanity over hundreds of thousands of years. Our constitutional democracy and indeed our inherent values as a nation are founded on the need to heal the divisions of the past and establish society based on democratic values, social justice and fundamental human rights. The struggle against apartheid was a struggle against uh, racism in the main. We say in the main because we identify three contradictions, race, class, and gender. So that's why we say in the main. And the resurgence of the scourge reverses our gains. Although ANC members will hand over their memorandum to President Jacob Zuma, Mantashe has however dismissed any suggestion that the ruling party is marching against itself. I'm not sure if the ANC march on itself. The, the, the ANC is mobilizing society. Now, if I, I must stretch the interpretation of ANC marching itself is that mass mobilization and mass work must be the preserve of opposition forces. The ANC must never mobilize because it is an incumbent government. That is the interpretation of a question of an ANC marching to itself. The ANC must continue mobilizing society around issues. That's why we, we, we are emphasizing that this is not a protest march. It is a march that mobilizes society to start a conversation. The ANC Secretary General has since appealed to members of the public to support their march. The ANC calls for South Africans to move beyond merely identifying racism as a persisting challenge to uniting in action and completely eradicate it together with all other forms of discrimination. In the same way, our people were united against uh, apartheid. The ANC seeks to mobilize all South Africans, black and white, to contribute to the ongoing transformation of our country. Meanwhile, the Tswani Metropolis has warned of traffic disruptions in the CBD between 9 in the morning and 4 in the afternoon due to the march. I'm Amos Power in Pretoria. A special drilling machine is expected to arrive at the Lily Gold Mine in Low Creeks near Babaton in South Africa's Mpumalanga province. Mine authorities say small buildings have to be removed from the designated new drill site and a flat surface must also be prepared for the new drill. Mutsibi Munareng reports. 
The hopes and prayers of the residents of this tiny mining area are resting on the arrival of the special drilling machine. Since the incident happened earlier this month, families of the three mining staff members of the mine have been receiving comfort and support from various stakeholders. The woman who led the prayer sessions, as Tama Tabula says, through prayer everything is possible. She believes that the trapped workers will be found. We thought maybe this will be done within some few days so that they can be found, some of them can be saved. But if we are still have to wait for two weeks, then it becomes too emotionally and it doesn't raise any hope that they can be found still alive. Investigations are underway to determine the cause of the cave-in. The mine workers employed at the mine are fearing that the government might close down the mine because of the incident. Joseph Matebula and Paul Matebula are employees at the mine. Our main challenge in this area is that we don't have much services and it is very sad because most of the people depend on this mine for work. We are still shocked. They must try their best to rescue the missing people so that we can go back to work. The special drilling machine will drill to sink a new shaft in order to continue with what they call a rescue operation that was halted a few days ago after the latest cave-in. Three workers are still missing after the initial cave-in at the mine earlier this month. Spokesperson for the mine, Kotsia Zisman of Merupa Communication says the drilling machine will be starting its journey to the mine tomorrow. The drill machine will be leaving uh, from uh, the, the Imalaseni area tomorrow towards Nelspreit and then onto the mine. It will be a convoy of uh, heavy vehicles, abnormal load, different trucks uh, transporting different components of the drill machine, and everything will come together there at the mine when they start drilling. So it's also going to take a little time to set it up, which we are hoping that it will happen on Saturday and that by Saturday evening or at the latest Sunday morning they can start drilling. Meanwhile, Lomshio Traditional Authority has also welcomed the latest efforts by management of securing a specialized drilling machine. Lomshio Traditional Authority Chief Tikondele Lamini. We welcome the decision since they are now planning new ideas. We hope that the new machine will retrieve them. We heard that they will dig from the other side since the previous plan was fruitless because the rocks kept falling in. The mine management has confirmed that while operations are suspended at the mine, the mine workers' monthly salaries will not be affected. It's 8.45 and we say good morning to Tabi Soluhoku with our economics update. Thanks, Lulu. The International Monetary Fund has begun talks with Tunisia over a new credit program. Tunisia's economy has been struggling since the 2011 uprising against the former president Zine al-Abedin Ben Ali that sparked the Arab Spring revolutions across North Africa. Two attacks last year by Islamist militants hurt the country's tourism industry. 
Mining Union AMKU is holding workers a mass meeting at Lili Gold Mine near Babaton in South Africa's Mpumalanga province. Uh, three of the union members have been trapped underground for two weeks. The meeting is aimed at updating members of the union about progress with the rescue operation as well as discussing the future of the mine. AMKU's shop steward at the mine, Darius Mangen. We are holding a branch uh, mass meeting, so we are inviting all workers of Lily Mine to come. We are going to have that meeting at 7 o'clock Friday. Uh, we've got an agenda there, uh, but briefly it's just the way forward. Now that they are all at home, they just want to know what's going on and we are to brief them. The Construction Industry Authority of Botswana has handed the layman draft bill to the Ministry of Infrastructure, Science and Technology. The bill is expected to regulate the construction industry and was initially presented to the construction industry in September 2014, following the Botswana Institute for Development Policy Analysis recommendations in September 2011. South Africa's Competition Commission has appointed a three-member panel to lead an inquiry into the grocery retail sector. The inquiry is expected to be completed by May next year. Competition Commissioner Tembing Osimonagele says that the panel will examine features in the sector that he says distort competition. The grocery retail sector market inquiry is starting immediately. So we are looking at things uh, like the informal sector, its uh, difficulties in the township. We're looking at questions such as why are locals not able to compete with foreign nationals. We're looking at the impact of uh, shopping malls in urban areas and semi-urban areas, as well as the exclusivity uh, contracts between shopping malls and anchor tenants. The U.S. dollar trades at 15.41 in South Africa, 11.06 in Botswana, 11.33 in Zambia, 6.9 British pound, 8.9 euro, gold $1,227, platinum $940 an ounce, brand crude oil $33.88 a barrel. Channel Africa's economic update. Thank you, Tammy. Sports update up next with Tommy Kluza. Thanks for joining us in your sports update. The first leg of the 2017 Afghan qualifiers between the Super Eagles of Nigeria and the Pharaohs of Egypt will now be played on Friday, March the 25th at the Amadou Bello Stadium in Kaduna. The Nigerian Football Federation, NFF, announced that they have moved the home games from March 23 to 26 to allow for more training time. This decision follows a mail sent to the Nigerian Football Federation by CAF on Thursday that Nigeria should endeavor to make room for a minimum of two full days of rest between the two matches. 
Rwanda's head coach Johnny McKinstry is upbeat about his side's chances of qualifying for the 2017 Africa Cup of Nations tournament, which will be hosted by Gabon. When speaking to Rwanda Media on Thursday afternoon, the Northern Irishman revealed that they are targeting six points from their Group H games against Mauritius. Amavubi, as Rwanda's senior national team is affectionately known, are currently placed second on Group H standings. That is three points behind leaders Ghana. In the Champions League, Real Madrid coach Zinedine Zidane has loaded superstar Cristiano Ronaldo after his side's 2-0 win over Roma in the Champions League. Ronaldo opened the scoring with deflated effort before Jose Rodriguez sealed an important victory for Madrid in the first leg of the last 16 tie at the Stadio Olimpico. Zinedine Zidane speaking through an interpreter. I'm happy about the goal and the fact that he scored. Everyone expects him to score every time he plays, and that's not easy. So I'm happy for him, happy for the team, happy for everyone. It was a hard game, complicated one, very difficult for us, especially in the first half. But then we improved much better in the second half. Authorities in Senegal questioned the son of the ex-head of the International Athletics Federation one month after the Interpol issued an international warrant for his arrest for alleged corruption and money laundering. A former marketing consultant to the IWAF and son of former IWAF President Lamin Diak, Papa Massa Diak, was banned from the sport for life last month for his part in blackmailing an elite Russian athlete after helping cover her cover up here for positive doping tests. French authorities are seeking to prosecute the young Diak, but Seneca's Prime Minister last month said that the West African country would not extradite him. A top Kenyan official says that he feared the sports governing body, the IAAF, is preparing to ban his country with the Summer Olympics looming to send a message about doping and corruption. Kenya, which topped the medals table at the 2015 World Championships, has had more than 40 athletes banned for doping in the past three years. Athletics Kenya executive member Banaba Korir shares his concerns. My fear is that um, maybe some people in the government think that is a simple matter. This is not a simple matter. They should have understood clearly that uh, when Russia was banned, uh, nobody is going to give a chance to Kenya if we don't miss it. We must understand that uh, having Russia being banned, the problems that is, that is facing other sports uh, in, this, uh, in the world uh, shows that uh, we really have to be extremely serious in handling the affairs of athletics in, in Kenya. Otherwise, we could find ourselves in, in a mess, and to come out of that will be almost impossible. It will take time, and it will have destroyed the lives of uh, many athletes and also the resources that we receive from running. And finally, in boxing, American sportswear company Nike has terminated its endorsement contract with boxer Manny Pacquiao on Thursday afternoon after he made derogatory remarks about sex, same-sex couples. Pacquiao says that he respects Nike's decision to drop him but stood spared on his opposition to same-sex marriage and added that he is happy that a lot of people were alarmed by the truth. Actually, Nike, whatever decision they made, that is their decision and I respect that. Their sponsorship to me is that they just provide me with clothing during my fight. Our contract has already ended aside from sponsoring the boxing clothes. From sponsoring the boxing. And that's the end of our sport. Stay tuned to Channel Africa and back to Lulu Gabu.
Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorna. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Recapping our top stories on Africa Raz and Charlotte this hour, vote counting is underway in Uganda elections. Zimbabwean police clash with protesting war veterans and U.S. President Barack Obama to visit Cuba next month. That wraps up Africa Raz and Shine today. For myself, Lulu Gabu, producers Pumuzo Ramagaza and Tutongobeni, technical producers Viso Mashejo and the rest of the team, thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info.channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Raz Shine Africa or send an SMS on 277 Now taking us to the top of the hour for the news on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa is DJ Bongs with a song titled Ofana Nawe.